Hello, peoples, and welcome to another episode of Esoterica Cinema, the podcast where we take films from the cinematic multiverse and discuss the hell out of them. I am your host for the day, Ryan Siebold, coming at you with another I Got Five on It five minute mini review. Today's film is the Western classic The Outlaw Josie Wales from 1976. Google has this described as Josie Wales, played by Clint Eastwood, watches helplessly as his wife and child are murdered by Union men led by Captain Terrell, played by Bill McKinney. Seeking revenge, Wales joins the Confederate Army. He refuses to surrender when the war ends, but his fellow soldiers go to hand over their weapons and are massacred by Terrell. Josie Wales guns down some of Terrell's men and flees to Texas, where he tries to make a new life for himself, but the bounty on his head endangers him and his new surrogate family. The film is directed by Clint Eastwood, with an asterisk, we'll get to that in just a minute, and made on a budget of $4 million, bringing in a box office of 32 mil, so this was a really big success for Clint. The film co-stars Sandra Locke, kicking off both a professional and romantic relationship for them that lasted many years, but supposedly ended with Locke suing Eastwood for holding back her career, ooh boy, and also co-stars Chief Dan George, who is the heart and soul of this movie, we're going to get to that in just a second as well, and John Vernon, who will forever be known as Dean Wormer to me from Animal House. Now we're going to get into the film proper in just a second, but before we do, a couple quick nuggets about the movie. The film is based on a book by Forrest Carter, to which you may be thinking, hey Forrest, that's like Forrest Gump, right? Yeah, it's like Forrest Gump, right? Remember that part in Forrest Gump when he mentions in the beginning of the film that he was named after Nathan Bedford Forrest, the first Grand Wizard of the KKK? The writer of this book, Asa Carter, willingly took on Forrest as a pen name, as an homage to Nathan Bedford Forrest. He was a KKK organizer, founding his own chapter of the KKK, members of which famously attacked Nat King Cole on stage while performing. He also worked as a pro-segregation activist and speechwriter for Alabama Governor George Wallace, including the famous line, segregation now, segregation tomorrow, segregation forever, as a part of Wallace's 1963 inaugural acceptance speech. Basically, the guy who wrote the book this movie was based on is a total shitwagon, and I thought it was worth taking a minute of this episode to address that. Screw this guy now, screw this guy tomorrow, screw this guy forever. Moving on. The script was written by Philip Kaufman, who was supposed to direct this movie. He did all the pre-production. This was his baby. He was ready to go into production, but was having some big-time falling outs with old boy Clint. Eastwood had some Hollywood weight to throw around, having already made movies like Play Misty For Me and Dirty Harry and High Plains Drifter, so he pulled rank on Kaufman and replaced him as director of this film. It should also be mentioned he was financially invested in this movie as he spent some of his own money buying the rights to the book. So I get it, but this really pissed off the DGA, and they created what is affectionately known around Hollywood to this day as the Clint Eastwood Rule, which states that no actor or producer can fire a director off a creative project that they're working on and replace them as director. But the film was fined $60,000 to punish them and they were allowed to move on. Coffin went on to go write and direct films like The Right Stuff, and unbeknownst to me, he even helped George Lucas develop the character of Indiana Jones, for which he still gets story credit for to this day. Now let's get to the film proper. I had never seen this movie, and this movie is very highly regarded. Good luck finding anyone saying a bad word about the outlaw Josie Wales. I've looked. So I couldn't wait to see it, and it was... good? I didn't love it. But this film is sitting at 91% Rotten Tomato meter, it's 7.8 out of 10 on IMDb. People love this movie. There were a lot of things about it I loved. It was beautifully shot by Bruce Surtees, who shot Lenny, Dirty Harry, Play Misty For Me, Beverly Hills Cop. Dude's had an amazing career. And he's the son of Robert Surtees, who shot movies like The Sting, The Graduate, Ben-Hur. Hollywood royalty, this kid. I can't describe it, but the cinematography in this film just feels classic. 
It's so, so good. I really, really love the DP on this film. I will say that the music by Jerry Fielding felt a little cheesy to me compared to the big epic scores of Morricone in the spaghetti western days of Eastwood that I love so much. Or even the sweet, simple score that Lenny Nyhouse provided for Unforgiven. I love Unforgiven. But this movie just kind of felt flat to me. And after all the gushing reviews and high ratings, it left me wondering, what am I missing? Why do I feel this way? Why am I bored? So after sitting on it for a couple days, I came up with a couple of things I have problems with. Starting with the massacre of Josie Wales' wife and child that acts as the catalyst of this whole film. It was very, very rushed. You never even really see his family. It all happens immediately before the titles even start in just the first couple minutes of the film. Then you see him fumbling with a couple of six-shooters, missing most of his shots as he's just a simple farmer at this point in time. Then he joins this gang of Confederate soldiers that are out to seek revenge against the Union. And all of that is told over the titles in a montage. You barely get to see any of it. So by the time the titles end, Eastwood has lost his family, joined this gang, become this outlaw sharpshooter badass. This is a two hour and 15 minute film with about a 10 minute first act origin story. It's bananas. So by the time you get into the meat and potatoes of this film, you kind of don't care what's going on. They've barely teed any of this up and it was yada 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 all the way through and it's powerful stuff. His family gets murdered, but it's done mostly off screen. Crazy, crazy, crazy. There's not really a specific villain or antagonist. I know I mentioned Captain Terrell and he shows up in the beginning and end of the film. He also shows up with some Confederate soldiers a little bit throughout the movie, but Eastwood disposes of him and his soldiers very quickly in some Bugs Bunny-esque Looney Tunes kind of ways, like cutting the rope as they're crossing a river on a raft, etc, etc. This starts as a revenge film and shifts very quickly to a guy wanting to be left alone film. We quickly skip through vignette after vignette of Eastwood being approached by people who recognize him as having a bounty on his head and they're seeking the gold reward. They're obviously not skilled or up to the task of beating whales at his own game, so he does away with them very quickly, even though most of them have him dead to rights. They've got a gun drawn on him and then they get caught up in monologuing and then he bests them every time. Because of course, and that's fun I guess, but we just skip through these vignettes and then he also starts saving people along the way, most notably Sandra Locke and Chief Dan George, and he adopts them as his little ragtag group of friends as they're all moseying down to Old Mexico to escape this bounty on his head and go live the rest of their lives. By the time we get to the third act and he finally faces off against Captain Terrell, it kind of lands us in a very unfulfilling climax. We rush through the catalyst, Terrell shows up sparsely throughout the film and never really set up as much of a threat, and then by the end Eastwood does away with him and movie's over. I will also say a lot of the action of this film is very unfulfilling, especially compared to the poster of Eastwood that's very famously known of Eastwood screaming towards the camera with two guns a-blazing, but most of the action of this film is done in a bit of an old school way where you see someone draw their gun and fire camera cuts to the victim holding their chest and going oh you got me and then they remove their hands to reveal a little red dot of paint nary a squib to be found this is not the wild bunch this is way more john wayne having not seen this film before i was really hoping eastwood was going to bring some of his spaghetti western sensibilities to this movie i was hoping for dirt and grit and grime and the most i got was eastwood spitting a lot Holy crap, that dude spit a lot of dip. He spit on dogs. He spit on people. Give this guy something to spit on, he's gonna spit. Eastwood's a spitter. There, I said it. Come at me, Clint. Lastly, I'll say that Chief Dan George in this film, who's one of the first that Eastwood saves and brings him along as his ragtag sidekick, is my absolute favorite part of this movie. He is hilarious. He gives this movie heart. If there's one thing to love about this movie, it's him. Absolutely, hands down. Great, solid performance and a lot of fun to watch. And lastly, for the Seinfeld fans in the audience, Len Lesser makes a cameo in this movie, who I affectionately know as Jerry Seinfeld's Uncle Leo. I know he's had a long and storied career, but he showed up randomly in this movie as one of the bounty hunters, and I was like, hey, it's Uncle Leo! 
My three adjectives are hollow, because it did. It just felt like it had no heart. It was a very well-made film, I guess, but it just kind of felt shallow. The vignettes are fun to watch, but I didn't really care about who was living or dying at any given moment. It was a pretty heartless film. My next one is beautiful, because it is. As I stated, Bruce Surtees crushed it. This is a gorgeous, gorgeous film. It felt like the Wild West. Credit where due, the editing is great, the coloring is great, the locations are great. All the department heads did a fantastic job. And maybe this is unjust, but I'm going to give a lot of that credit to Philip Kaufman, who did all the pre-production for this work. So he probably had all that lined out for Eastwood and just handed it to him. And my last one is Ron Howard, which kind of circles back to the first one of Hollow, but every time I watch a Ron Howard movie, with very few exceptions, I'm always so confused at what a great movie this is and how little I care about anyone in it. It's the Ron Howard curse. <laughs> I'm sorry. Dude makes a great movie, but kind of not. Just my controversial take. Don't come at me, please. Like I said, a lot of people love this movie, but every time I would go and try to find out why, in reading all the reviews, most of them posted that they watched this with their dad or they watched this with their grandpa. There's a lot of nostalgia tethered to this movie. This is a lot of people's first Western they saw or first Clint Eastwood movie they saw. I've seen a lot of Westerns. I've seen a lot of Clint Eastwood movies, so I didn't bring a lot of that with me. And I'm watching this as an old man at this point, so I don't have that childlike wonder of watching this movie. I'm watching it as a film critic to talk about on a podcast. So with that said, I'm going to give this one a B. It's not bad. It's just not as good as I wanted it to be, and it's certainly not as great as everyone made it out to be. So in all fairness, this is a B film. I think Eastwood's made some bangers. Like I said, Unforgiven is one of my favorite films of all time. I fucking love Unforgiven. I love all his spaghetti western stuff by Leone, but, you know, I'm going to give him another shot. I still have yet to see Pale Rider and High Plains Drifter, so we'll get back to some of those in a future episode. But in the meantime, I got to sign off. That's it for me. Come listen to us next week on another episode of Esoterica Cinema!